Well, please turn with me back to page 968 in the Church Bibles, number page 968. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look particularly at verse 9 this morning. And now we're there. Let's all pray together and ask for God's help as we study His Word. Gracious Father, we thank You so much for Your Word, that You don't leave us in the dark, that You speak to us. And so, Father, we pray that as we study Your Word now, Your Holy Spirit living in us and the Spirit who wrote these words would help us, that You would help us to understand what You mean, and that You would help us to apply these truths to our lives. Give us grace to obey them too. Father, please would You help me as I speak, help each of us as we listen, to, to sit under Your truth and to apply it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, a couple of years ago, I remember vividly watching in an interview um, with a U.S. Army veteran as he recalled the events of the D-Day Normandy landings on Utah Beach. He was describing how he'd gone to shore in one of the landing craft. He was heading towards the shore. Uh, bullets were flying in. Chaos was everywhere. Pandemonium, it seemed, was about to erupt. Uh, some men in the landing craft around him were crying out in fear and panic. But he said in the midst of all this chaos, he wasn't frightened. And at this point, his voice cracked in the interview, and it took him a couple of moments to compose himself. And he said the reason that he wasn't frightened was this, because, quote, I'd already made my peace with God. I'd already made my peace with God. There he was, staring chaos in the face. And in his mind, he was at peace with God. This morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, where Jesus teaches, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Peace. It's become quite a cheap word in today's thinking, hasn't it? We find ourselves saying to the kids, you know, just five minutes. Would you give me five minutes peace? Then there's those caricatured moments um, we, we have in Miss World. What's her aim? Well, it's to um, end starvation. It's to cancel third world debt. And it's all to cancel um, or bring about world peace. And she wants to do it in a year. And the kind of peace that she's talking about there usually is a kind of a fluffy, idealized, white dream. Nice, but really rather boring, really rather dull, and really very, very vague. Or in recent days in this country, um, there are all the political shenanigans going on, and there's the claims and the counterclaims. We hear of politicians working for peace, uh, wanting peace, talking about peace, striving for peace, etc., etc., etc. It can be so confusing and so infuriating at times that we want to say to Jerry and to Ian and the rest of them, five minutes, would you just give me five minutes peace? I wish you would give my head peace. And it all seems somehow out there, doesn't it? Kind of vague, um, but something that we ought to strive for, however vague that may seem, and however far out of our grasp it might seem at times. But I want to suggest to you that that veteran's story, that war veteran's story, is much more real. It's, it's a much more earthed understanding of what biblical peace looks like, real peace looks like. In a world that is often seemingly teetering on the edge of chaos. Well, the Bible says that we can know real peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. 
It's part of everyday, normal Christian living if we belong to the kingdom of God. If we follow the man Jesus Christ, we can know peace with God. We can know peace with each other. In this sermon that Jesus gives, we see how Jesus, he's God's long-promised king. He's come to make things right. He's going to establish the kingdom that he's going to talk about, that he talks about here in Matthew 5. He's going to establish that kingdom through his life, through his death, through his rising from the dead. We've been talking about those things already this morning. And in doing so, he makes it possible for us to know real peace and thus become peacemakers. We're going to look at this verse, Matthew 5, 9, under two headings, two main headings. First of all, know peace with God. And then secondly, know peace with one another. That's K-N-O-W. Know peace with God, know peace with one another. First of all then, know peace with God. Now what I mean here is for us to know, not simply to know about what it means to experience and enjoy the peace that only God can give us. And when we're talking about God, obviously it's the God of the Bible, the living God, the true God. The Bible asserts that in Him, and in Him alone, we can know a peace, a peace that passes all understanding. It transcends so much of everyday rational thinking in many ways. And that's something very attractive, isn't it? Sometimes we come to church, and the reason that we come to church is simply to get our heads some peace. Because there is a sense of transcendence sometimes that people talk about in this circumstance. However, there's something much more tangible than that that's going on here as well. We're all familiar with the idea of peace in the context of a war, aren't we? It's the bit that comes after it. It's, it's peace. It's a rest from fighting. Not simply a ceasefire, not simply a decommissioning of arms. Peace, real peace, means reconciliation between sides that have previously been enemies. And that's the case with Christianity. Because according to the Bible, we are at war with God. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to describe humanity as God's enemy. Um, people who are opposed to God, they don't want to go his own way, don't want to go his way, rather we want to go our own. Uh, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. It's on page 1182 of the church Bibles. You might find this helpful to follow with me. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21 there. Paul here, he's talking about people who have committed their lives to Jesus, um, and he's describing what Jesus has done for them. But before he gets there, he describes what they used to be like because they, before they became followers of Christ. Have a look there at verse 21. Paul writes, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, that might sound a bit harsh, but, but the harsh truth is that if you're not a believer of Jesus Christ and, and a follower of Him, well, well you're still like this. Now, now, our opposition to God might, can take different forms. Our evil behavior might not be murder or child abuse or rape or all the things that we think of when we think of things that are evil. Um, those things are evil, sinful, no doubt about that. We can agree on that. But at times, sinful behavior can simply be to ignore God, to act as though He's not there, or not to listen to Him or obey Him might not be outright hostility. It can simply be indifference. 
you know the sort of thing I mean. Um, you're kind of a, I can take it or leave it as far as God's concerned sort of attitude or a, that stubbornness that says, oh, I'll get around to trusting in God someday. I know somebody who says that to me quite regularly. They're 85. Now, the reason that that is such a dangerous stance when it comes to God is that it's still refusing to allow God to be God on His terms. Our pride is saying, I know better than God does. We are trying to be God. We're still alienated from Him, and we're enemies in our minds because of our evil, sinful behavior. I wonder if that might be you this morning. You know that you're still trying to run your life on your terms because, well, that's always how you've done it. And you're convinced that you know best. But no matter how hard you try, you know deep down there is something inside you that simply wants more, that simply aches for peace. Often people in this life are yearning, starving, striving for that kind of peaceful, restful existence. And that's why programs on daytime TV about owning holiday villas in Spain or Florida are so popular. People want to get out of the rat race. They want to put up their feet. They want that ever so elusive peace. The irony, of course, is that they work themselves into such a notch trying to get to that stage that whenever they do, they're too stressed out to enjoy it. No, the only way that we can know peace with God is through a man. His name is Jesus Christ, through what he did when he died on the cross. Why? Because unlike any other world religion, we cannot generate that kind of reconciliation with God from within. We can't find God within ourselves. We don't have the ability to make peace with God. He has to take the initiative. And that's exactly what he does in the man Jesus Christ. Have a look there at Colossians 1:19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. You see, Jesus, Jesus is the peacemaker. If we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to God. We can be at peace with Him. It's there again in verse 22. Now, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see there, uh, that offer of reconciliation, it, it comes through the death, says Paul of Jesus through his blood shed on the cross, verse 20. That's what we can know if we put our trust in Christ. And I want to suggest to you that that is the most radical peace treaty that's ever been devised. We'd never have thought of it, but it works. It's part of every Christian experience. I'm God's enemy, but in Christ, God offers the chance for that opposition to be overcome if I relent to Jesus and allow him to be king in my life. And the result? Peace. And with it, an intimate relationship with God where we're counted as members of his family. Sons, all of us sons, enjoying all the privilege of being one 
of his children. Well, we can call the living God, the God who made the entire universe, Father. The reason I say all of us sons is because all of us are treated in the same status as a firstborn son. Sons and daughters in many other ways too, obviously, what we sometimes refer to as brethren. But we can all call the living God, the God who made this entire planet, the God who made the entire universe, Daddy. That is huge. Well over a thousand years ago, Augustine said, O God, you have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Can you identify with that? That restlessness, that splinter in our minds is is talked about in the matrix. We can only find that rest in God. It might be that you are a believer in Christ here this morning and our, our hearts and our lives are anything but restful. And the reason life's wretched is because we've lapsed into an old pattern or an old habit of thinking where we act as though we still know best. Maybe we've done something wrong. Maybe we've got ourselves caught up in a habit which is starting to drag us down. Things which we thought we dealt with years ago. And all of a sudden, they come out of left field and they've taken us by surprise. And we feel we're nowhere. But rather than allowing God to be involved, we're opposing him still. We're trying to deal with these things, trying to deal with them to to make peace on our terms, in our own strength, rather than yielding the matter to God. And the result? A dissatisfied restlessness. And that's harming our friendship with God because it suggests that we don't trust him. Maybe we need to stop fighting with God when it comes to matters of sin because he wins. We know that. Perhaps you can come and chat to me afterwards. Happy to talk. Or maybe you could talk with a Christian friend, somebody who you trust. But there are matters that need to get sorted. That rubbish that needs to be dealt with, got rid of. Well, why don't you do that today? That's how we know peace, as we come clean with God as we deal with him, as we confess our sins to him, and then that knowledge of what Christ has done for us. Because the Bible says that if we do that, if we come clean, he will wipe the slate clean. If we confess our sins, God is faithful, he is just, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So that's the first point. No peace with God. Secondly, and a wee bit more briefly, no peace with one another. Later on in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, Paul talking to a group of people in Ephesus, he says that um, there is a huge peace that has occurred. That in Jesus, there is a, a peace from God which unites Jews and Gentiles. That's the basis of our unity as Christians. The barriers, therefore, of, of history and of ethnic division and sectarianism are overcome. Because, you see, the biggest barrier of all, sinfulness, has been dealt with. Sinfulness before God has been overcome. And as a result, those who previously have been regarded as enemies are now to be understood as brothers and sisters in Christ as they've put their trust in God. 
They share the same heavenly heritage, the same heavenly identity, same cultural identity, if you like, that we now enjoy in Christ. And that is huge. And of course, the implication is that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, what unites us here in this church, even though some of us have never met before, what unites us here in this church is far greater than what divides us, than any historic or traditional divisions that we perceive to exist, whether that's in terms of race or ethnic background or social background or traditional background, whether we've just moved into the area or whether we've lived here all our lives. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, that alone defines our standing before God. And it would be daft to try and impose another man-made tradition that creates division. Likewise, as those who now enjoy peace with God, the onus is upon us to make sure that we live at peace and that we know that peace that comes from God as we interact with each other, which means that we kind of stop looking for ways to compete with one another. It means that we stop bickering. Perhaps it might mean we cut out the back chat, those petty squabbles, that stirring. When I was growing up, my brothers and I um, knew all the buttons that had to be pressed to wind each other up. My younger brother is an expert in it when it comes to me. He could get under my skin perfectly. He can still do it if he wants to. He chooses not to, thankfully. But some of us still enjoy that kind of power trip, don't we? Sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. The cruel, unthought-through words. The name-calling. The jokes that are simply we digs at somebody else and at their expense. Some of the teenagers in the church where I'm working are having to unlearn the habits that are picked up at school with that silly game of, oh, you know I'm only joking, I didn't really mean it, kind of game. And adults do it too, don't they? But it's much more subtle. And of course, that kind of spirit isn't promoting unity. It's not encouraging peace. It's winding each other up. And when it comes to knowing the peace with one another that the Bible wants, the Bible doesn't simply talk about declaring a ceasefire. Paul says later on in Colossians, look, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And how has God forgiven us? Completely, totally, with utter grace. That's to be our standard. That sort of unity and striving towards that sort of unity is what we're called to. Since as members of one body, we're called to peace. Which means that we're to be proactive in promoting peace with each other too. This week, wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be great to pray for each other that we enjoy God's peace, that we're united in Christ, that we're for one another instead of against each other, that the perhaps siege mentality of suspicion caused maybe by past hurt or misunderstanding or tradition is put on hold as we seek peace with each other where we can go to our brothers and sisters in Christ in all honesty and in all love, whether that's our husband or our wife or our friend or somebody that we've fallen out with, somebody who used to be our friend, and we can say, look, I've hurt you. Please forgive me. Or you've hurt me. We need to get this matter cleared up. So no room for sulking. No room for going off in a huff for that self-indulgent pity party. Why? Because God's won. 
The barrier of hostility has been, that used to be between us is broken down if we are in Jesus Christ. And those genuine grievances, complex as they are, can be dealt with through the reconciling work, the peacemaking work of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit living in us. And folks, living in this kind of a way is part of everyday normal Christian experience. It's part of what it means to be part of Jesus' kingdom. And knowing that peace and experience with other believers is part of what it means to be a peacemaker. That's how we know peace with one another. And of course, another aspect of being a peacemaker is to encourage others is to talk about the peace that God has given to us with those around us. It's to share, to share the fact that we can be at peace with God, with our friends. We tell people about how ultimate peace comes about as we share with them the good news about Jesus, the gospel. And who are we to share God's peace with? Two groups, just in closing. Those who are at war with God. People who are currently in the spiritual situation that we used to be in. People without peace or without hope. Those who don't know God, really. And that will involve us talking to people about the offer of peace that God makes to us in the man called Jesus. It means we need to be ready to ask people as lovingly and as clearly, indeed as peaceably as possible, if they're at peace with God, and then being ready to share with them how God's brought peace in our lives. And what can we expect when we do that? What kind of response? Well, we can expect the same response that Jesus met on a daily basis. We can expect people to accept what we say, people who will believe in Jesus, and they're going to accept us. That's great. And we can expect people to reject the message of Jesus and at the same time reject us too. Jesus said that would happen. He said, if they hit me, they will hit you too, to his disciples. That's not an excuse to be obnoxious or antagonistic, even when people throw things back in our faces. And not only do we share God's peace with those who are at war with God, we share it with those who are at war with each other. This, of course, follows on from the previous category. People who are at war with one another, generally speaking, are, do so because they're at war with God. It's a symptom of it. That's why it's so important in the context of this country um, to make sure that in the matter of reconciliation, whether that's political reconciliation or social reconciliation or economic or cultural reconciliation, we must make sure that we talk of the ultimate reconciliation that has to occur if anything else is going to make progress. And that is peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because in Him is our lasting heritage, our ethnic identity, our tradition. In a context that oftentimes seems to be teetering on the brink of chaos and pandemonium, that is where real peace is found. So let me ask you this morning, are you at peace with God? If not, then you can be through accepting the peace treaty that God offers in Jesus Christ. 
his death on the cross and resurrection. Now that is worth considering. Otherwise, we are still considered enemies of God. And if you are at peace with God, let me ask you as well, what steps are you taking to ensure that that peace spreads in your family, in those strained relationships where you know resolution needs to occur? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let's pray together, shall we? Gracious Father, we thank you so much for uh, these words of Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is the one who makes peace between us and you. Father, we praise you for that. We thank you for his death. We thank you for his rising from the dead. Father, please might you have mercy on us. Forgive us whenever we war against you, when our pride gets in the way. Father, we pray that we would enjoy the peace that only you can give amongst ourselves this week. We pray that you would help us to be at peace with you and at peace with one another. Please forgive us for that siege mentality of suspicion. Father, where there are situations that need to be dealt with, relationships that have been broken, that need healing, might you be at work. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name because he is the one who brings us peace. Thank you so much for him. Amen.